Well, morning, everybody. My name's Chad. Isn't it amazing how the Lord um, speaks? And I hope you're listening. Um, I have told you before how he directs um, me when I study. And it is no coincidence that Casey's here this morning. It's no coincidence that Real Hope is here this morning. The Lord is, is speaking to us. And I'm excited um, for what he might be saying to you and to us as a church um, I want to give you just because ask them to, so we could give more time to that. I'm just going to give you real briefly a few things to help you remember that we have going on this week. Let's not forget Haiti and Afghanistan, um, the crisis response. Um, we as a church want to respond to difficult things like those things, like real hope. We want to say yes to Jesus, to the things that are hard part of our mission, part of our DNA. We're not going to just pass off and let somebody else do it. We're going to take it on. We want to be seen as that church to Jesus that says, hey, they said no, they said no. You know what? You should try Pleasant Valley. You should try Winona. They'll probably say yes. So Haiti, Afghanistan, go to our website. Matthew 25 Project is the way to get involved. There's a lot of information there. Second, uh, our parent-child dedication is next week. And so if that's something you're thinking about, um, we'd love for you to register. But even if you didn't register, you can come to the prep class right after this service. It'll be across the hall in the traditions room to find out more information. That'll be happening next week. Third, you notice the tent out there. We are looking for you to find your connection in Jesus. And sometimes that is a small group. Uh, can be scary, but it can be the thing that, and many of us, if you talk to people who've been walking with Jesus for a long time, it's a good chance they were with a group of people at one point, sitting around God's word, learning, listening to each other, praying for each other. And so it's an awesome thing. We encourage you to stop by the tent. Uh, next Sunday night, we had to postponed from Garvin Heights because of the road construction, but we're going to do it here. Worship and prayer night here at Pleasant Valley, uh, 6 p.m. in this room, and then Real Hope. Uh, I'll say it now. I'm going to say something else at the end, but if the Lord is knocking on your heart, listen, hear his voice. Let me pray for us as we get started, and uh, we'll jump into God's word. Lord, thank you for uh, the way that you have pursued us the way that you've come after our hearts, Lord. Uh, we thank you that you speak through your word. You speak through our time together in worship. Uh, you speak, Lord, when we're one-on-one. -on -one, and sometimes, Lord, when we go out and take a step of faith, and maybe we go to ask about small groups, or we say, you know what? I think I do want to raise my child in my home to know Jesus. I wonder what that means to dedicate them to Jesus. Or... Lord, I want to go watch some of those videos. I want to see what maybe you're doing in my heart as it deals with foster care and adoption. Lord, whatever it is, we know that you're faithful to speak to us, to give us uh, what we need to follow you. We thank you for Jesus this morning. Thank you for your love for us, uh, for your relentless pursuit. I pray you bless our time in the word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a copy of God's word, I want to encourage you to open to Luke chapter 19. We've been going through Luke's gospel uh, this year, actually. I think we are just crossed over a year in Luke. Who would have thunk it? We could go that long, but there's a lot of stuff in there. A lot of great stuff about Jesus. So I have this question today. The, the title today is The Day God Visits You. What do visitations from Jesus look like? In the Bible, we got some famous ones. Mary, for her, it was an angel. Whoa. Of a, of, we would be like, yes, let me have that one. I, then I'll really follow. How about Joseph? He got an angel, but he got an angel in a dream. 
So a little bit different. He could have said, well, it's just a dream. I don't know. Elijah in the Old Testament thought God would show up in big fireworks and thunder and earthquake. But what was it? Still small voice. And he's like, as soon as he heard the still small voice, he got down on his face and he's like, I know that's you. I know that's you. New Testament, people like Peter. How did Peter get his first visitation from Jesus? Well, it was his brother, Andrew, who said, hey, you got to come listen. How about Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree, praying for the Messiah to come? Doesn't know what's happening, shows up. Philip says, hey, you should come see this guy. Visitations from Jesus. Paul got knocked off a horse. The centurion, word of mouth, I don't know, just kind of heard about Jesus. Lazarus, friendship, came to his house, and then, oh yeah, got raised from the dead. Pretty cool visitation right there. How about us? What does it look like? How do you know it's really him? How can you tell the difference? Are there times that he's trying to visit you and speak to you, and you ignore him? You press pause, you press snooze, you walk by, you say, no, I don't want to listen. How do you know if it's his voice for the first time or even the thousandth time? Has he visited you before and you have ignored him? And then there's another angle too. Some of you may be like, yeah, I heard his voice a long time ago. I've been walking with him. How about now, the thousandth time where he's maybe saying, and even as Casey kind of laid out some things for you, maybe it is for you to give and to use your finances to help somebody else adopt, help somebody else step in. Could that be God speaking to you? How about God using you in the life of someone else? Are you the like, ah, I don't know if I want to go and tell people about Jesus. Are you the dump truck type? It's like, fine, I'm going to do it. You back it up. You dump everything. Did you know you're going to go to hell and Jesus loves you and everything? <sighs> so glad we got that over with. <laughs> Let's go get some coffee. Are you the dump truck type? How does God visit people? Let's look at Luke 19, verse 28. Let me show you one way today. Let's open the story. This passage is typically called the triumphal entry. That is not in the original text of scripture, though. I want to tell you it's something that we have added as a subheading. Um, but let's read it. Verse 28. When he had said these things, he went on ahead. Remember what he had said. These things was the parable of the mina. How are you using your life and the gospel for Jesus? He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, Mount of Olives, he said to two and sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied, which is a donkey. It's the offspring of a donkey, so it's a donkey. On which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it. Bring it here. If anybody asks you, hey, what are you doing? Why are you untying this donkey? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away found it just as he told them. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it's here. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> right? This is, they're not just like, why are you untying the colt? <laughs> no, they're, this is mine. Why are you untying the colt? And they said, uh, the Lord has need of it. So it was a restless sleep of night. His dreams were unsettled. He's worried about his wife. He's worried about his children. Nothing in particular. 
that was worrying him? Just normal dad, husband stuff. Some of you know these dreams, these thoughts where you can't get to sleep. Life in their village was not without an occasional skirmish from a Roman patrol coming up the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. But they did what they could to keep their heads down, keep the Sabbath, head up the road for Passover every year, you know, do the normal religious thing. He decided, I can't sleep. I'm not going to fight these dreams anymore. And he got up early and walked outside before the village came to life. He liked it early in the morning. Quietness, coolness of the air, the sun peeking over the hillside, starting to warm his shoulders and decided, you know, I'm going to get an early start on my chores. Prompted him as he walked to thank God for his blessings, his children still sleeping, his wife still sleeping, their small home, consistent work, even his livestock, even his donkey. He went a little earlier than normal. It would be later that he did this, but he went earlier than normal this day, untied his donkey. Come on, girl. <laughs> Started walking her from the stable, which was probably the house. If you ever wanted Luke 2, the stable was probably the front of the house. Walked her over, tied her up, gave her a couple of pats on the side, rubbed the nose. Good donkey. This guy has no idea what is about to happen to him. Not a clue. But Jesus does. Jesus knows. Have you noticed in our time in Luke or even in as you've heard stories about Jesus that he doesn't quite do things the way we do. He isn't usually easy to pin down in the way he does things. Jesus, as God, is always way ahead of us. Look at this first part here in the passage. He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. First thing I thought about when I read that is he's just, he's ahead of us. He's always ahead of us. When it comes to your salvation, when it comes to God getting things done in the world, he has planned it so long ago. I know I give a plug all the time for the Bible in one year, but that's what I read for my chair time. This week, Isaiah 25 reminded me of this, God's plans. Here's what it says. I will exalt and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. He's way ahead of us. Revelation 13, 8, the lamb slain when? 33 AD? No, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was a blade of grass, before there was a donkey, God said it will be on a cross. He will give his life for their sins. Revelation 5 says there's a lamb's book of life. And in it are names written. When were they written? Before the foundation of the world. And no, that doesn't violate your free will or your need and necessity to make a choice today to follow him. But God is way ahead of us. He is always ahead of us. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship. That word is poema, poem. We are God's poem created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Go do them. Is that what he says? No, he says, which God prepared in advance. What? He's ahead of us. 
So he's going on ahead up to Jerusalem because plans are in place. So what am I saying? As you look for the visitation of Jesus in your life, expect him to have already been there when he shows up. The plan has been in place. When his grace is playing out in your life, he has prepared a moment for you. When he does something, even if you don't get it, and especially if it doesn't fit the ways of the world, he's orchestrating, he's directing, he's piecing together, he's being God. He's moving the needle of your heart. He's pushing you, he's driving you towards his plans. Now up to this point in the gospel, he's been a little bit incognito. Meaning people didn't walk up and see Jesus and go, oh my goodness, it's God in the flesh. They didn't. They were just like, yeah, that's the guy from Nazareth. That's the rabbi. And he's showing himself in miracles. We know he's reading people's minds. We know that he's speaking prophetic words. He's doing amazing things. But sometimes he does something amazing. You know what he says? Hey, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And people, what do they do? They tell people. Every time <laughs> they, oh, they still do it and they can't help it. Up until this point, he's kind of been, no, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet. And now he's like, go. On his way to Jerusalem, he is, one commentator said this, up until this point, he's just been doing those things here and there. Now he is directing events. He is making sure that donkey is going to be there. It will be tied up in the spot. The owners will come out. And say, what the, why are you taking our donkey? So he's not just doing these things just to do them. <clears throat> there are always people involved. I want you to think about that for yourself this morning too. He does things when he's going after people. So think about the first couple of guys in the story, the two disciples. He sent two disciples. Could he have done it another way? He sends them to borrow and steal a donkey. From a stranger. Imagine this moment, the instructions. I want you to go into that village and I want you to untie that donkey. What? Jesus, I'm, I'm feeling a little sick. I'm allergic to donkeys. I, I, you know how I am. I can't. Are they going to be a little uncomfortable? Yeah. It's a simple call of obedience to do something for him. So imagine the conversation. Here's the two, the unlucky two who got picked to go steal the donkey. They're walking into the village. It's like, well, I'm not taking it. No, I'm not taking it. You take it. You're older. I'm not. Your reputation is already ruined. You take the donkey. I'm not taking the donkey. You know, they argued. Nobody ever just goes, okay, here we are. We're obeying Jesus. People wrestle just like you do. God asked you to do something. Some of you are still wrestling with real hope. Already, the Lord has been, he is speaking to you. You don't even hear a word I've said. You're not hearing a word I've said. God has already said something to you and you're like, uh-uh, nope, not gonna do it. Simple call to obedience. So they go. Jesus could have easily summoned this donkey. Could have had it break free from its tie, run down the road and be like, oh, hey, look, it's a donkey that's never been ridden on. Perfect. We can fulfill prophecy. Instead, he sends two disciples. Don't miss that. Don't miss this place of obedience and God asking people to do something that maybe they don't know what, don't want to do. That might be difficult. That's the disciples. But then we have this guy. And this is the one I thought about this guy all week. He doesn't have a name. 
His family and he and his donkey are wrapped up in events that will change the world. This isn't a random thing where it's like, let's pick the first donkey. It's their donkey. It's their house. He's coming to their house. And sure enough, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Bleep, 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 bleep. Okay, you're stealing. Get out of my yard. Oh, you can't steal my donkey. Or as I imagine the conversation and connect it to my own heart, Jesus, that's my donkey. That's my donkey. This is a visitation from God, not a donkey heist. Okay, this is a visitation from God, not a donkey heist. That's not what's, but I want you to think about this guy and it's easy to miss him and just to go right to Jesus riding in the streets, all this stuff, but it's his donkey, it's his house. This guy lived as a real person living there. Not random, not convenient, not just the first donkey they pass on the road. His events are being directed. A visitation from Jesus. It's a first encounter for sure. And we don't always know what's going on in the first encounter with Jesus, but it's still a visit from Jesus. Indirect through his disciples, yeah. And no doubt, I don't think the last time this guy will see Jesus or have a visitation from him. Your first encounter with him may also feel as annoying and make you as angry. Where Jesus doesn't come in like we want, the the Mary visit, the angel, he comes in and he's like, I'm just taking this. You're like, hey, it's my donkey. Jesus, what are you doing? This is my life. He comes, it may be a subtle nudge from his spirit in your heart that moves you maybe for the first couple of times just to feel a little guilt or angst or sorry about something you said to a friend, to a spouse, to a family member. He's untying the donkey of your heart. Or maybe you are up late at night and you have Netflix or something going and it's not something you would invite your daughter down to watch with you. You feel that nudge in your heart. Jesus is untying the donkey and saying, hey, and you're like, hey, this is my life. Leave me alone. Maybe it's a call to be in, have integrity with your finances or to be gentle in your conversations or your parenting. Subtle, but make no mistake about it. It is a visitation from Jesus. He is coming after you. But Jesus, I have worked hard to get this donkey. This is my life. I'm not okay with you just barging in here and taking my stuff or making me feel bad about doing things that I like to do. Remember? I come to you. I show up on Sunday. I keep you in the church world, the church building. My terms, my time, my stuff. The disciples are also experiencing a visitation from Jesus, even though it's probably the hundredth, in that he's asking them to go do something they don't want to do. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. You want me to do what? To say what? So let's put it in our current context. What has Jesus asked you to do Or where is he pursuing your heart, which absolutely makes no sense from an earth, worldly, American, Western point of view? How about 
spending time reading a book that is 3,500, maybe 4,000 years old. That's what they think Job, the book of Job is the oldest one. How about spending your time doing that every day? Are you crazy? How about praying to a God you cannot see with your eyes? How about believing in his life, death and resurrection, and that it actually has something to do with your heart and soul? How about giving of your money, your hard-earned money to an invisible kingdom? Really? Serving with your time? Isn't it a waste? You believe in the hope of the gospel? You want me to tell other people about you and believing in you, invisible you, and that they should also read this 4,000-year-old book? Okay. Does any of that feel like this? Jesus saying, yeah, go steal the donkey. Untie the donkey. Why, Jesus? Why this way? Why does he come after us? Why does he pursue us? Why does he ask to use our lives and our resources? Jesus' beautiful and sufficient answer to us is right here in verse 34. The Lord has need of it. That simple. Why do you want me? I have need of you. Not in a, I need you because I can't get anything done without you. No, he will get his purposes done. But I need you in that I want you. I want you as a part of my family. I want you as a part of the things that we're doing in the world. My eternal plan. You know that song we sing? I've got a plan just for you. It's going to be wild. It's going to be great. It's going to be full of me. I want you as a part of it. That's it. That's enough. Why are you doing this, Lord? That should be enough. The Lord has need of you, has need of your life. And our response should be simple. Okay, Jesus. But we don't always respond that way, do we? There's more going on here, as there always is with Jesus. A life given over to Jesus is in for a wild ride and maybe on the back of a donkey. Here we go. Verse 35. They brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. I always wonder, is this like, help him up. You grab this part of him. Did he climb? Jesus, let me give you my foot. Was Jesus athletic? Was it awkward for him? To, was he like hanging off the side? <laughs> Either way though, they set him on the donkey, okay? So Jesus is sitting on the donkey. And as he rode along, verse 36, they spread their cloaks on the road. You know, there was some mom that was like, I just washed that. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples, so that's key first, the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Disciples first, smaller group first, been with him for a long time. They're responding in worship. Now, other gospels let us know that other people joined in, but they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Ah, uh -uh. teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So let me show you a picture of the first car I owned. It isn't this one, but this was the model. This was the color. 1981 Honda Accord. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> I didn't think so. My grandmother had owned it. She sold it to me. I just had been hired, my very first job, Charlotte, North Carolina. I graduated from Wheaton College, 
going to be a youth pastor. I wasn't a youth pastor yet. I was going to try to be a youth pastor. Move into a new city. So my parents are saying goodbye to me. And I bought my grandmother's 1981 Honda Accord for $1,000. And I didn't even have a bed. So I'm going to this new city. I got everything I own in the car. And my dad was like, here, we've got this brown futon that you can sleep on. Oh, awesome. How am I going to get that? He goes, we'll tie it on top. And my dad doesn't do anything halfway when it comes to tying things or wrapping things. When he sends presents to our kids, it's like triple wrapped duct tape, packing, you know. So he put brown futon on top of this 1981 Honda Accord, tied it, I think, with like yellow rope. I'm driving from Knoxville, Tennessee to Charlotte, North Carolina. Wind resistance was awful with the futon on top of the silver Honda Accord. And this car, when you got it into third gear, it did this thing where it would go (laughs) like that. So I'm like, hey, everybody, it's just me making it to third gear here. And so Charlotte is kind of a, a little bit bougie town. Okay, it's got some money. And so I'm rolling into town and I got my shorts on, duck heads probably, because that's what we wore in the South. Um, obscenely colorful cotton shorts that usually were pants and we would cut them off. So we all had duck heads. I know that's not a thing up here, but, and I had new Birkenstocks, never worn Birkenstocks, but they were new. They looked new. Pulled in to the parking lot of the church and here comes the youth pastor and he's like really nicely dressed. And here comes all these other people to say, hey, and I'm like, here's my brown futon. I'm like, hi, I don't know any of you. This is awful. And it really did probably seem like, here comes that boy from Tennessee and his shaking silver bullet with a futon tied on top. <laughs> so later on, I would buy a bike rack for a mountain bike that I owned. And the guys I lived with joked that the bike rack and the mountain bike were worth more than the car. And they were. That's how I picture this donkey ride into Jerusalem. Triumphal entry, come on. The visual's lame. It's not amazing. From a worldly perspective, from an Instagram moment perspective, it'd be like, hang on, I'm just trying to get the right angle on the donkey, Jesus. No, it's a donkey. He's coming lowly, meek, humble. Now, to be fair, you do some research on this. Civil servants, leaders would come on donkeys into towns when they were doing peaceful business. Okay, I read that, but I was like, no, this is still 1981 Honda Accord for me. That's what's happening. Even Zechariah described this moment for us hundreds of years before, said this in Zechariah, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion, shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble. And riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here's your king. Kind of reminds me of what's his name, Jeff Foxworthy. Here's your sign. He's humble. He's lowly. He's riding on a donkey. Imagine you were in the crowd, maybe on the route, and you had a, a house, and you're kind of sitting on your porch with some of your friends, and you're watching. You don't really know what's going on. But it's like, oh, what's going on? I don't know, something's going on. Oh, that's that, that's that old boy from Nazareth. The rabbi, 
He's coming in to have people like him. Yeah, they like him. You sit back, got some sweet tea, hanging out with your boys. And, the, and somebody walks in and he goes, what's going on? He goes, well, there, there, there it is. Where, that's where's what? What do you mean? He goes, well, you know, the triumphal entry of Jesus. Look at all the palm branches. Isn't it exciting? I mean, wow. Pass the hummus. <laughs> it wasn't exciting. It, and I'm not trying to be dismissive either. I'm trying to say when we think about Jesus visiting us or visiting one of our friends, we don't want the Honda Accord, do we? When you bring your friend to church that doesn't know the Lord, do you want a Honda Accord or do you want a Ferrari, right? Or do you want something like this? Watch this video. These are Navy SEALs, by the way. You know, just delivering a football to a game. Start to hear the crowd. Now that is an entrance. That is an entrance, right? I was at a Tennessee football game. Same thing. We got Navy SEALs jumping. Nobody knows what's going on. All of a sudden, everybody looks up, and it's like the crowd starts roaring as these guys are parachuting in. Perfect landing on the tee in the middle of the field. Takes the ball out of his jacket and hands it to the ref. And you're like, yes! That is the entrance I want. Now contrast that with me driving up to the bank or Lambo in my 1981 Honda Accord. I drive to the center of field. I hop out. I hand the ball to the ref. What do people go? Um, what is that guy doing on the field? Yet, is this what it looks like when God visits us? Are we missing him? In this story, we get the Honda Accord. From 1981, with a futon tied on top, Jesus shows up in the world on your donkey. And we'll make it personal there. Something in your life, something that seems inconsequential. By the way, the Christmas donkey finally gets a part in the show here. Did you know there was no donkey at Christmas? Even though we have that in our manger scenes, and there was no donkey. The donkey's like, finally, I get a part. Here's here, here he is getting to carry Jesus. But watch this play at play out. The disciples are starting to get it. Their eyes are opening. They watch this happen and they, it's true worship and praise as they respond. They recognize the visitation. They say, blessed is the king. They're putting their cloaks on the donkey, on the ground. The other gospels say waving palm branches, yelling Hosanna, which means, oh, save. They get it. Even though it's a meek, humble and lowly king on a donkey. And they also say something very interesting. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Can anybody remember a phrase from early in Luke that's similar? How about this? Peace on earth and goodwill to men, glory in the highest. What's happening here? A connection is being made between the visit of Jesus to the planet and the visit of Jesus to their hearts. Very important for that to happen in our own lives. From the first Christmas to you in your world, your donkey, 
This is God's plan at work. From Jesus has landed on earth to Jesus has landed in your heart. How about the religious leaders? Do they see? And it's a safe bet. Anytime anybody asks you, do do the religious leaders see what's happening? No, (laughs) it's always no. They're the professional church people too. They're supposed to see it. Instead, they're like, it says some of the Pharisees, not all, okay? So let's be fair, not all. There were some who were starting to wake up. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, we know those guys would eventually have their eyes open. But some of them are saying, teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is unacceptable. You know this isn't true. And Jesus makes a profound statement of truth here about the witness of creation. He says this, I tell you, if they don't do it, the very stones will cry out. Is this just symbolic? We don't speak. The earth is going to speak. Is that true? Romans 8, 19 to 22, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Another way to say that, the earth waits for you to see it. The earth waits for you to recognize your visitation from Jesus. And he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. The earth speaks. The earth actually longs for, groans for, cries out for you to be revealed as one of God's children. Other places in the Bible. What happened when Cain killed Abel? The blood spoke. The blood cried out from the ground. What about when Jesus died on the cross? The earth responded. Earthquakes, shaking, lightning, darkening of the skies. This isn't just for effect. This isn't so we can just say, yeah, we need special effects for this moment. This is the earth knowing that the king is in the room. If we don't speak, the very rocks will cry out. Even animals and donkeys speak for God. Anybody remember a guy named Balaam? Numbers chapter 22, who was trying to get his donkey to move. Goes down the road, donkey won't move, beats it. The donkey still holds back, tries to get him to go again, beats the donkey. Third time, the donkey just said, I'm off this road and actually went into the field. He beats the donkey and the donkey says, why are you beating me? You know, Balaam like had to change after that, right? (laughs) Everybody, why are you beating me? Do you know why the donkey stopped? Because he saw the Lord and God actually said to him through the donkey, Look, I see God right there. Why won't you? And God says to Balaam, why didn't you listen to the donkey? Creation was speaking to you. If you don't speak, and even Balaam says that by the end of the story, he's like, I can't say anything except for what God's telling me to say. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. What do we learn from this little donkey? How might it relate to your donkey? Does anybody say, wow, what a powerful donkey? in the story. Not at all. Nobody says just like what a breed of donkey that is. I mean, there's a reason we don't have donkey races. Maybe they do somewhere, maybe in the South probably. (laughs) But we race thoroughbreds. We talk about those kinds of animals. Nobody says, let's do a donkey show. It'll be amazing. Like there, there's a utilitarian that they just, they get stuff done. It's great to have them, but nobody says, what an amazing donkey you have. Look how stately, how strong, how powerful and warlike. Not at all. Instead, 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. What's the owner of this donkey thinking at this moment? What's happening in his heart? He's the character arc that I most identify with in this story. That's his donkey. Imagine him moving through the crowd as Jesus makes his way down the road. He's, he's kind of weaving in and out. You know what he's doing? Watching his property. I want to make sure I get that back. That's my donkey. But you know what? I think something was happening in here too. I think he was being stirred of his own visitation starting to happen. There are clues also hidden in this passage about a future Navy SEAL-like paratrooping into the earth return of Jesus, Mount of Olives. Jesus does come back on a horse, this time as the judge, this time with fanfare. It actually says in one of the Old Testament passages, when he sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives, it will split in two. Yeah, that's pretty Navy SEAL. Not very Honda Accord. So that stuff's hidden in there, but it's not yet. It's now, but not yet when it comes to God's kingdom. How does he reveal himself now? Again, what does it look like in your life, your donkey? Meek, lowly, humble, one heart at a time, slowly, not in worldly power, Holy Spirit, power that tears down strongholds in hearts, not governments, breaks down the walls of sin, not the walls of a city. He dismantles authority structure of demonic powers that hold people captive and not with the weapons of the world. Though we still think he might want to use them every once in a while, he reminds us, no, that's not how I do it. That's not how our king wins people. He's still one heart at a time. We do prefer the war horse though, don't we? We like it. It's it's Navy SEAL-like. We want this way. If I'm going to minister to somebody in my life, if I want somebody else to know about Jesus, I want to be able to come into their life that way, not on a donkey. Take a look at the group who wanted that. They only expected the war horse. They missed everything else. They can't see a thing. Verse 41, when he drew near, saw the city, he wept over it. He cried saying, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. What hurts Jesus' heart? When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He cried. He looks at our sin and it breaks his heart. Breaks his heart when you're caught in it. Not indifferent or callous or be like, I'm going to strike you down if you don't turn. It breaks his heart when you're struggling. We're caught in our own blindness and pride. It causes him to cry. That should bring you comfort. That is how he feels about you. And a large portion of the Jews here, they're saying, we reject you. We don't see you. God is visiting them. They don't recognize it. The time of their visitation. And some here are going along with the disciples. The disciples started the worship and praise. They started the blessed is the king. There are other people who are like, yeah, blessed is the king. Hosanna. Whoa. We're going to know. We're going to see it later. They're going to be the same people yelling, crucify him. They're bandwagon followers. 
jumping on for the moment. It feels exciting. But when it comes to difficulty, things getting hard, they're not going to stay. And this part is concerning. What are the results of consistent rejection of Jesus? What are the results of you saying, nope, nope. You sense him untying the donkey in your heart. One, two, three, four. No, 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 no. Eventually, he says, now it will be hidden from you. There's a time limit on this thing, guys. It's in the scripture. Now is the day come to him while he can be found. Now is the day of salvation. Choose today. It's there. There is a future date where he'll come back and it will be too late. He predicts 70 AD, the fall of Jerusalem right here, but he's also predicting something further, a final judgment for all of us to stand before the Lord. Why will it happen? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not recognize it, but some do, some do. The disciples, and I think the owner of the donkey, he's the one I've been thinking about all week. I think his heart was stirred. And the question is, how about you? Do you know the day of your visitation? We're finishing here, but I want you to think about, I wonder who brought the donkey back to the owner. Was it later in the day? Like everything's died down. Jesus has gone through the city. All the stuff's gone, everything like this. The Pharisees. And it's later that evening. And maybe one of the disciples are like running back up. Like, hey, sorry, stole your donkey. Walked away. Is that how it worked? Did Jesus find a quiet moment at the end of the day? It's dark, quietly walked, kind of rubbing that nose and bringing this donkey along with him up to the man and notices somebody standing there in the dark. Jesus walks up to him, hands him the lead, says, thank you for letting me use your donkey. You're you're welcome, Jesus, Lord, Master, King, I am believing that that is the path that guy eventually found himself on. Maybe it finished on the hill of Calvary. Maybe it was near the tomb. Maybe he was one of the witnesses caught up in the 40 days after the resurrection. But I am thinking that there was a guy and his donkey standing there being like, yeah, yeah, we believe. We believe. One dollar ride on the donkey that Jesus rode on. No, he didn't do that. (laughs) But I think his heart was changed. I think there was a visitation. Why? Because Jesus is directing the events of history. That entry into Jerusalem was for you, for people sitting in Winona in the year 2021. But it was also for the one guy who owned the donkey and his family. He's directing events of history and he is directing individual hearts. Some of them recognize it and others are clueless. Which one are you? What will his visit look like for you? What will his visit to someone else look like through you? Your donkey. Think Honda Accord, not Navy SEAL. Can I tell you how often as a believer in Jesus, I feel like I'm driving a 1981 Honda Accord with a brown futon tied on top? Pretty much every week I stand in front of you. Brown futon, silver, 1981. Here we go. Let's talk about the Lord once again. 
I think that's on purpose. The Lord wants us dependent on him. For some, this morning, it'll be the simple call of Jesus on your life just to give him your life to start with. Just give me your life. Recognize your need for me. Your sins, I have paid for them. I have saved you if you want it. Others, it's going to be your time. You're going to start learning to give your time to him, chair time, gathering in a group. Other, it's going to be your resources, your money, where you're like, Lord, I entrust this to you. It belongs to you. I want to see your kingdom move forward. And others, it's going to be, you know what? I think my purpose and my mission in life is changing. Yes, I'm still a doctor, still a nurse, still work on the line, still a teacher, still do this, whatever it is. But my purpose and mission is I'm yours. I'm your, I will be your beast of burden, Lord. You can use me. Take the lead. I'll show you a picture. That's my wife, Lisa. That's Maya Lynn. 21 years ago, goodness. But here's the crazy thing. We said yes to foster care as a couple first. That's how the Lord got us. One Sunday in church, open the bulletin. Here's an announcement about foster kids. Would you be interested in being a foster parent? We were like, the line was being untied and we said, okay. We went to class for a month to learn how to be foster parents. We were like, Lord, we're here. What do you want us to do? And my wife, I think I've told this story before, she prayed with boldness. Lord, if you want us to do this, put it in the bulletin. Again, this Sunday. And that Sunday was the announcement. There's an orphanage in Vietnam that just shut down. There are 230 babies. If you're interested, contact this. And we were like, "Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh. So what does it look like? Worship team, come on up. For you to recognize the visitation of Jesus It's real simple stuff like this, guys. If he's moving, just take a step. Just say, sure, you can use me and my life. I want to respond. It may be as simple as I want to clean you up. I want to pick you up off the ground, get you out of that place of destruction and sin. But for others, it is, hey, bold step. Go out there. Talk to Casey. Watch a video. Listen. Sense the Lord tugging on you, asking if he can use your life and you being like, why? The Lord has need of you. The Lord wants you. Do you know the day of God visiting you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for people with no names in the Bible. Donkeys that have amazing roles, but still look like donkeys. Lord, we love you. We thank you for how you speak. God, how you pursue us. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would continue to find a group of people here. Lord, uh, we are yours. Some of us need to say that in faith this morning. Because our flesh is saying, no, 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 I don't want to give in. But our spirit is saying, say yes. Say yes to him. Allow him. God, do your best work, Lord, as we...
listen as we worship, Lord, as we lift our voices to also say, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, to praise you, to worship you, to say Hosanna. And maybe that, oh, save is just for us right now. Save me, Lord. Use this time as we worship. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.